seated. Well, we're going to start a study tonight. We're going to do one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, your Bible is the, first, the book of 1 Thessalonians, you know, and, uh, and so what I want you to see uh, tonight, this letter, you know, we've done a lot of, you know, Paul letters in this last couple of years, all the way by going through the whole book of Acts, Romans, and we done really take a look at some of the other books that Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus, and in and, and quite a few of uh, his letters we've, we've studied, but we've never studied uh, this particular book, and, but one of the things that uh, I think that we're going to see uh, tonight is that this letter was a little bit different from some of the other letters that Paul wrote. Uh, when he wrote these guys here, uh, he was writing to a church that he had founded on his second missionary journey. Um, you're going to see he was very informal in his opening with them. He didn't have to identify himself as an apostle, you know, because this was a church that he wasn't having no problems out of. There wasn't people there who was trying to tear his reputation down and try to, uh, you know, put, put word out that he wasn't a true apostle. So therefore, he didn't even have to mention that he was an apostle this time because he was writing to friends. Uh, but he was writing to a church that, was, that, that, that had met some violent opposition, you know, when the word of God came into this region. And what he was trying to get them to do is to encourage those uh, believing Greeks or Gentiles, as well as the Jews who had established this faithful church uh, uh, in this region. And one of the things we're going to see is that the purpose of this letter was to comfort and encourage believers to live a life of purity by expounding on the doctrine of Christ's return. In other words, one of the main themes that you're going to see from this lesson is he always talks about, uh, he mentioned, they had this expectation that Jesus was going to return. And that expectation caused them to try to live in a way as if he was coming back soon. And so therefore, during that time, because they had such high expectation and they lived in, in, in such a way, they endured a lot of persecution. And so sometime in life, when we do things for the Lord and we live with expectation, there will be persecution. There are going to be challenges that come. But he was trying to encourage them and, and, and commend them, uh, uh, and as well as give them some uh, counsel as they continue to, to grow in the things of God. And so in this first uh, uh, chapter, it's not a very long chapter, but I think there's some things in here that we can slow down on and try to have a discussion around, you know, because we want to try to make the word applicable to where we are today. And in order to do that, we got to figure out, you know, when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he would often read a passage of scripture, and then he would in turn ask them, how do you read that? How do you see that? How do you understand that? Because how you see it and how you understand it is going to be how you apply it. So it's important for you to understand how you interpret in your heart and in your spirit and your mind what you read from God's word and then see how you live that out in your everyday life. Now, it would be nice if we all read this word the same way and all of us applied it identically the same way. Well, it don't happen like that in most cases. Even the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even though they were religious groups, they didn't always agree on everything. But they were considered the, the religious leaders of that day. So it's not unusual for churches today not to all agree on certain things that has nothing to do with the fundamental doctrine of, of the gospel, meaning that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came and died for our sins. He was raised from the dead on the third day, seated back at the right hand of the Father. Those are fundamental things of Christian that no Christian church would disagree on those things. But how we apply certain scriptures and the methods that we use may vary. And so, so what we have to see is, and understand is that as you read this, 
you got to kind of get a heart, in your heart and your mind, how would I apply that passage of Scripture to my life? You know, what does that mean? What does that look like in my life when it starts talking about some of the things that he mentioned here tonight? So as we go through this, he start out with his greeting. And I, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, verse 1, he says, this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So all three of them was ministering together as a, as a team. Even though Paul was the primary writer, he saw that ministry as a team effort. And that's what we tell people today. You know, church is a body. The Bible depicts the church as a body of believers and often describes us as hands, feet, eyes, ears, you know, members of a team. So, so God always had a team concept when it came to ministry. It was never designed for one person to try to do it all or be it all. It was designed for a group of people to come together to believe a certain thing and then act out those beliefs as a team. And so therefore, we see team ministry here at work. He says, we are writing to the church in Thessalonica. And some people say Thessalonia or Thessalonica, but uh, it's, it's, on, it's on in Greece, in the northern part of Greece. And he says, to the church. Now, that word church there is just another way of saying to the called out ones. See, during this time, there were not a lot of big churches like we see today, cathedrals and all those big places. These people sometimes were meeting in caves. They were meeting in houses. But, but, but so they saw the church as being more than just the building. Now, we come together in a building and worship, but we worship online now. You know, after the COVID has come, now we got so many different ways we're, we're worshiping God. But at the end of the day, when you see yourself as being the church, then the question got to be is how do the world know you are the church when you are not in the church? So let's think about that. How do the world know, Major, that you are the church when you're not in the church? Because if the world peeped in here now and looked at us and they'll catch us online, figure we done set, set this time apart, they will make the assumption that you are the church because you're in church. But what will they think when they see you outside of these walls? How you conduct yourself? Okay. Okay. Anybody else want to take that? You know, maybe say how you conduct yourself. So, 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 how we carry ourselves outside the church depends, or what it does, it, 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 it allow us to represent God in a way that brings glory and honor to Him. So, it is important how we act as the church outside the church. You know, and in order to do that in a way that's going to honor God, we can't do it any kind of way. And so what he was letting them know, he said, I'm writing to the church in Thessalonica to you who belong to God. Now look at this. To you who belong. He used that language there, belong to God. So now let's get away from that and we'll say, you know, to... to to, to Brother Purdue, to Brother Purdue, who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, when you read that and you put yourself in that, what does belonging to God mean to you? 
Okay, get a mic. Never want to make sure you get a mic. Okay, and, and somebody, camera, I want to know what it means to you. When they say belong, to you who belong. See, when we read it like he's talking to just them and not us, then we'll read over that. But it's important that we are considered believers too, and we all supposed to belong to him. So it says, to you put your name there who belong to God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? What does that mean to you when you say, if he's telling you, you belong to God? The way you carry yourself and the way you set an example for other folks. Okay, the way you carry yourself. Okay, the way you set an example for others. That's going to come out in here in a few minutes. Okay. Cameron, what about you? What, what does that mean to you? When you say, you who belong to God. Cameron, belong to God. The, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel like uh, I use the example of when, like, the people, when the people are like, hey, I'm talking to my church, I'm talking to my people. Mm -hmm. So um, the ones who belong to God, he's talking to the ones who, I guess, identify or who, like you said, who conduct themselves in a the manner that they follow God. Okay, and I, and I like that word, identify. You know, those who, you know, if you belong to him, then you ought to be able to identify him, and people ought to be able to, Look at your life and see some of his DNA in you, you know, because you belong to him. And, you can, and we look at this, you know, we are no longer our own, and, and we've been bought at a price. And so, therefore, the Bible says we have now a divine nature in us. And that divine nature that, that is in us should cause us to look like the one we belong to. And, now, and, and, and how we present that outside the church could be totally different by all of y'all. Could be. Because I'm pretty sure when we leave here, our individual lifestyles don't all line up. Letter for letter. Now, we may line up in the broad areas of life. You know, we may not be out there getting drunk every weekend. We may be not doing other things. But when we get beyond that, our individual preference of what we eat, where we go, what we do for recreation, could be all different. But even in those differences, we got to still believe whether I'm, I'm playing racquetball or playing golf or playing whatever or going paintballing with the young adult. I got to know who I belong to because my ownership don't change based on where I'm at. It's easy to say we belong to him in here because everybody will agree, yeah, we belong to God. But we got to act like we belong to him when we're not here. And so he was commending this church because he said, look, Man, you guys belong to God, the Father, and the Lord. So not only do you belong to God, you belong to Jesus too. That's why we call him Lord. And so as a result of being owned by him and, 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 and knowing that, that, that he died for us, then therefore, if we never see him as Lord, then we're never going to do what he requires of us to do when he speaks to us as Lord. I say this all the time. Everybody like him as Savior. We, we want him to die for us. We want him to clean the slate, you know, get rid of our sin. But when he exercised lordship over us, then now the relationship changed, you know, to master-servant. And that's the problem that sometimes we have a hard time grasping when we have to understand that he's more than our Savior, but because we belong to him, we see him as our Lord. And he says, now look, he says, may God give you grace, favor, and peace. That's the common entry that he make in the beginning. May God give you grace, favor, 
and peace. Not only peace with God, you know, Jesus died so that we can have peace with God. But also, he was saying, look, you guys are in a, in a place where people are coming against you, and even in the midst of the stuff that you're going through, I want God to give you peace. It's one thing to come to church and have to pray for peace all the time. You know, we ought to expect peace in the church. I mean, you, when you come to church around brothers and sisters, family, you ought to expect peace here. But he's saying, look, he wasn't talking about them internally. He said, look, man, y'all got a lot of external forces coming against y'all, and even in the midst of what you're going through, I want you to be at peace. I want you to experience that peace in the midst of the storm. You know, because storms are going to come in everybody's life, but everybody don't handle storms the same way. And there are some people who can have that level of peace. Is not talking about being at peace with God, because Jesus got us to the point where we're at peace with God. We're no longer warring with him. But now we need that peace that comes from God, that can calm us down and give us a, a, a peaceful and tranquil state of mind even when we're in the midst of a storm. And so he was telling these people, hey, I know y'all going through. And even though you're going through because of what you believe and because of who you are and who you belong to, I still want you to have peace. Don't give up your peace, man. Jesus said, you know, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I mean, if you, if you can't hold on to that, the world, man, the world will really rob you of your peace. Every day there's something out there that can just steal your peace if you just let it. And, and, and knowing this and knowing who you belong to ought to allow you to even experience peace even when all of the stuff you see or hear about, seeing the news, what's going on, you still got to say, man, God got this. He got me. So I know I'm going to be all right. So therefore, since I know that, then I'm going to have this mindset that I'm going to have peace regardless of what's going on around me. And that's not something that you can just walk into. You got to grow into that level of peace. And that comes when you can trust God even in the tough times in your life. After you've been through some things with him, you learn to trust him more. And you understand now, hey, I can have that level of peace. Don't let nobody tell you you can't have peace when you've got troubles in your life. You can have it. But if you don't believe and if you don't desire it, it ain't going to just happen. The Holy Spirit is supposed to help you get this level of peace. And so now what he's saying, look, he's praying to them. He's saying to them, he's opening, that may God give you grace and peace. Now look at this, verse something that I think we ought to talk about a little bit more too. In verse 2, he said, now look, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. Now that's one thing I think that's a weakness in most churches. I don't think we pray for one another enough. You know, we know we got the intercessory prayer list and we can put people's names on it and then we got eight or nine, ten people in the church who pray on Monday, Wednesday and Friday mornings and uh, whatever I think, and Tuesday and Thursday night. Yeah, but, but man, it shouldn't, we shouldn't just be relying on no, the team. All of us ought to have an active prayer life and in that time that we spend with God praying, we ought to lift up other people. Even as individuals as that come across your mind, or collectively, the body of Christ, all believers, and even unsaved folk. But he said, look now, we, we pray for you constantly. In order to pray for something constantly, the Bible says, 
you know, it's two things. In all things to give thanks, then we ought to pray without ceasing. Well, that don't mean that we're in a 24-hour prayer vigil. But that means I have a mindset, Major, of prayer. I got an attitude of prayer. So that when things come up in my life, the first thing I want to do before I go off is pray. And here, because he's saying it like this, it lets me know prayer don't have to be written out. I mean, if you're constantly praying for somebody, you ain't got time to be constantly writing. You got to have enough on the inside of you that you know how to pray without. Now, I ain't got no problem. You need to write your, if you're a beginner and you want to start writing your prayers out and all that, but look here. And sooner or later, you got a spirit on the inside of you supposed to bring some stuff back to your remembrance. And, and if, you, if you put him to the test, he'll bring some stuff back. He will bring things to your mind during that time of prayer. And I encourage you, if it just started with five minutes, just pray. Because he's saying, look, we pray for you guys constantly. So the leadership ought to be praying for the church. But at the same time, the members ought to be praying for the leadership and, the, and for one another. That's something that we can all do as believers. We can give God thanks and we can pray. And all things give thanks, pray without ceasing. And, and, and you know what? The good thing about that major is that you don't need a seminary degree to do that. You just need a heart that is willing to, and you know what, prayer don't have to be formal. I mean, don't try to be like somebody else. Just talk to God like you will hold him a conversation. And if you learn how to line it up and you can cry it out and all that, that's fine too. But he ain't impressed with how you sound. It's what you say and where it comes from. You know, that. You know, Jesus got on the folks who could make long prayers, just repeating everything. Oh, he wasn't against repetition, but he was against vain repetition. Thing ain't got nothing to do with nothing. So if you learn God's word, one of the best ways to try to pray is to pray back the word to him. Amen. You know, and, and they got helps out there for us. If you want to, you can get tools out there that will tell you, you want to pray about this, here's some scriptures that you can use. Just pray those scriptures back. But we got to all have this attitude. And that's something, you know, that, 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 that we need to go beyond just our intercessory prayer team here at the church because all the members of the church, this whole church, he's saying, look, man, we praying for you guys constantly. And, and, and look, he said, now look, he, he, as we pray, look at the things that he's saying here. And I want you all to get this. As we pray to our God, the verse 3, and Father, about you, we think of your Faithful works. So now he's saying, as we pray, there's some things that we're thinking about that we, about you. Your faithful works. Now, let's talk about that. Brother Perdue, Brother Fred, if I was praying for y'all, could I be thinking about y'all faithful works? Or if y'all were praying for me, could you be thinking about my faithful, faithful works? Now, it's not works that is designed to get you saved. It's the things that you do because you are. See, I think we think that we got saved to sit down and do nothing. I mean, some people just say, hey, I got saved, gave my Lord Christ, joined church, and now what I'm going to do? I just go to church, sit down, get up, leave. No. 
You want pastor praying for your faithful? Now let me step on some toes. If your child joined the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts, they want them to do more than just take the pledge and put on a green suit or whatever color suit they wear now. Guess what they want to go along with being a Boy Scout and a Girl Scout? Some faithful. So why is it that when we come to God's house and he expects faithful works, baby? <laughs> We're supposed to sit down. We came to God to sit. I get on my daughter all the time. You know, I, I get in trouble when I go here. Well, I'm go here anyway. She just pledged. She's an AKA. And guess what she's doing? Already doing faithful work. Now, she works at Children's Church, too, here at the church. I got to give her props on that. But, man, she's doing faithful work for them. Whatever they call on them to do, she do. And she do it gladly with her pink and green on. Now, the pastor said, look, we're going to do this, and I want y'all to wear striving red. You ain't going to tell me what color to wear. I mean, I don't want to wear. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute. We're just talking about faithful. Works. Everybody else can tell you what to wear. When you join the Boy Scouts, don't they give you a uniform? And they tell the Boy Scouts what to, what to wear. But then, when it comes to the God's house and faithful works, we want to argue with God. Now, I'm not saying... There got to be no dress code. My point is this, is that in other entities that we join, I don't care what it is, a football team, they expect some works out of you. They expect you to put in the effort, to put in the time, to do what it takes to make that team successful. And so when he was telling them, hey, and when I pray, man, I want to acknowledge your faithful works. Pastor. Yes. You know, just, just a couple of days, I was talking to the kids, and I was explaining to them, you know, just don't jump in your car and turn the keys. I said, you don't have to bring them fire and brainstorm from heaven to pray. Just I said, Lord, protect me while I drive. I said, it don't take much. It's just a few words. A lot of times people don't want to pray because they think they have to go through all kind of rituals and, and stuff like that. But it's just simple word. It's just like talking to another person. Amen. Amen. I mean, you, you know, if you do it long enough and you study and you put in the effort and put in the work and diligently serve God, I mean, you, you'll start memorizing scripture. I, I, I'm not good at memorizing scripture. I can paraphrase scripture. There are certain scriptures I do have that's down pat. But there are some people that's good at it. I mean, they can just memorize scripture and go right down the list. But that ain't required. I mean, you can speak from your heart to God, and he already knows what's in your heart. You know, but, but he don't have no problem with us telling him. But if you need a, a crutch, open the Bible and start your prayer and read the Bible back to him and then just say, God, this is what I want you to fulfill in my life. This is what I'm praying for. I'm going to see for someone who's going through this, and I believe that you can bring them through that. And so, and so what we got to see is that he commend them. He commend them for their faithful works. He says, as we pray to God and, 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 and Father about you, we think of your faithful works. One, then he said, we think about your loving deeds. Now, these are faiths when, you know, 
these are acts of when you love in deeds, how you treat one another, those things of benevolence, loving, the things that you do with, a, with the right heart. And he's saying, now look, man, we ought to have some loving deeds, things that we just love just compel us to do certain things. But just because God's love is in us and God is love, he says, man, when I pray, I'm thinking about you guys loving deeds, the things that you do to let people know who you belong to. Because God is love, and we just discovered that we belong to him, then love ought to be in our DNA. And, and sometimes it looks like that's the last thing that pop out of us. Love's supposed to be in us. And so if love is in us, then we ought to be bearing the fruits of love. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then on that fruit builds other things. And so look at it. He says, you're loving deeds. And then he, he, he says the next thing. He says, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he said they had three things. Faithful work, loving deeds, and patience. They was telling me your Bible say patience. Enduring hope. In other words, they had the hope that produced an excitement in them that Jesus was coming back. They, they, they live with this expectation. And, and, and what happens is, you know, if you don't live with the expectation, if you, if you don't live with the expectation that heaven is real, that Jesus is coming back, and that, you know, hope is what helps and faith work together. Because without hope, man, you'll give up. So, so faith is fueled by your hope. So that's why the Bible says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So therefore, when I'm normally hoping for something major, it's always based on a future expectation. Because if I'm hoping for it, I don't have it. Because once I get it, I don't need to hope for it. So therefore, it's my faith that believes, make me believe that what I'm hoping for is real. So when I continue to walk by faith, then I will continue to hope that heaven is real, even though I have never been there, I've never seen it. But because the Bible speaks of it as a place, then I got to believe it's real. Because once I stop believing that it's real, then I might as well stop believing everything. If I can't believe God for heaven, ain't no way I can believe him for in the beginning God created. And God said, let there be light, and there was, bam, light. Man, if I can't believe for heaven, ain't no way I'm going to go and believe he just said this and all this just appeared because God said. No, we have to accept that by faith. And so because I accept that by faith, then now that fuels my hope to keep believing that one day Jesus is coming back. Now, can you imagine that that's why these people died in hope? And a lot of us are going to probably die in hope. But we die with that expectation that Jesus is coming back. And so if you don't have that expectation, then it would be easy for you to get to a point and say, man, I've been going to church all these years. Jesus ain't came back yet. He didn't come back 2,000 years ago. They've been folks waiting on him. Grandmama waiting on him. She dead. Great grandmama dead. Then you know, look like, look, he ain't coming back. So why do I keep going to church? Why do I get? Now your faith is starting to win. Because now it's easy for somebody to talk to you. I say, man, you still out there hoping and praying and believing for something that ain't going to happen? It ain't happening in 2,500 years. You still think it's going to happen? Yeah. I don't know when. He didn't tell me when. He just said he was coming back. So my faith made me believe that he didn't lie to me. But again, when you're trying to convince someone who's going to think in their natural mind and logically, they ain't going to receive that. 
Because the things that you're trying to get to them to see got to be discerned spiritually. And if they don't have a spirit on the inside of them that can accept what you're saying by faith, then it's going to be hard. But what, what you've got to rationalize with them and talk to them about, say, look here, you already believe some things you ain't seen. You walk around and talk about stuff like you done seen and you ain't never seen it. You know, you, you got a whole lot of history that you walk around and quote like you was right there when George Washington crossed the, the Delaware, whatever he crossed. You wasn't there. Who told you that? They rewrite the history now. They said everything was wrong anyway. You know, you, we've been walking around saying he chopped down a cherry tree. Who told you that? Well, I read it in the history book, but you ain't see it. But you act like you believe it. And so there are a lot of things that you already believe that ain't even true. But because somebody credible told you that, you believe it. And so what I'm trying to say is that if you're going to believe somebody else, you might well believe God too. He's the credible source. And so when you're talking to people, that's kind of how you got to narrow them down because sometimes you just got to lay it out there for them and say, look, you already got faith in stuff that you don't trust. You, you know, you come in here and you sit down on these chairs and you don't even test them out. You just believe they're going to hold you up when you sit down. Now, Pastor Bowden, come in here and take all the screws out of them and let you sit down one time and fall. Guess what's going to happen next time you come in here? Every time you come in, you're going to go. <laughs> Why? Because your, your faith has been shaken. <laughs> you had faith, but now it's shaken. It goes down. See, when your faith gets shaken, now you're going to stop trusting. But because something happened to you one time, you got to believe that, hey, God is still God. And I'm going to have faith in him the next time. So what we got to see is that it's important for us to know and understand that, man, we got to have this enduring patience. We got to have this hope and believe, continue to believe in things that we have not seen. Because if we don't, then nowadays people can easily be taught, you know, that they can be talked out of their faith and get confused and don't know what they really believe. So he was commending these people for what they, these three things that was going on with them. Their faithful works, their loving deeds, and their patient endurance, or their, their enduring hope that they had, believing that Jesus was coming back. Now look at verse 4. He says, we know, dear brother and sister, that God loves you, we ought to know that too, and has chosen, some of your Bibles say you're the elect, to be his own people. Now, that word elect there, kind of like chosen, meaning that God has went through this process by us accepting Jesus Christ by faith. We have become the elect of God. That means that he brought them into the same privileges that the Jews had from the beginning, but because now they have accepted Jesus Christ, they have been chosen to become the elect of God. Now, now, and we're the elect of God because of our faith in him and in what Jesus did. Because we have put our faith in Jesus and the work that he did for us, that brought us into another category and called us out of the world into the marvelous light. So now get this. If I am the elect of God, then God elected you, Major, before you did anything to show that you were going to be a good choice. You just say, hey, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's a, and by faith, God said, you're now part of my elect. And God got to believe that because of that, something's going to change in you that you're going to start living like you're the elect of God. 
See, when we see ourselves as being a part of God's elect family, then that ought to let us know that, hey, we just can't live any kind of way and still say God called us. Because Jesus makes it clear, he says, you know, he called his followers out of the world. God gave them to him, and he called them out of the world. So when God called us out of the world and we become part of the elect, then there are certain things that he expects of us now that we have become the church in the flesh. Major, go ahead. So, Pastor, okay, so because I have faith in God and then I choose to obey his word and live the life that I should live, he's saying, okay, you chose me. Now, did he already choose me? Well, now, Major, you're going to get into one of those doctrinal terms. Now, I said there wasn't supposed to be a doctrinal Now we get into what people call predestination. You know, did, did God choose me from the beginning right. before I even made a choice? Right. And some people believe that, you know, but I don't believe that God capriciously just sit up in heaven and say, okay, I'm going to choose Major, but I ain't going to choose Brother Producer. Because he would be right. an unfair God. Right. I believe from his point of view, he, he already knows Who's going to come? And so when my heart changed, then I've become part of the chosen family. That's right. Because the, 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 the call go out to everybody. The call says, to whomsoever will, let him come. Everybody can hear that call, but everybody ain't going to answer the call. And so therefore, when you answer the call, then God can say to you, Major, you was chosen from the, be right. from the beginning. but few are chosen. And, and that chosen takes us to another level Amen. in the Lord. You, because, you know, because being chosen, it's, it's a matter of our choice. Not, not God just automatically does, but it's a matter of our choice too. Amen. We got something to do with that. The call go out to everybody. The gospel is held to everybody. Right. And everybody that hears is not, Jesus preached to a lot of folk, but everybody that he preached to didn't come. And there were some who came and walked with him for a season, and then when he started teaching some tough things, they stopped following him. And the Bible says they followed him no more. And so what I'm trying to get us to see is that you got to see yourself as a different category of people because God has chosen you to be his own. Going back to what we said about belonging up in verse 1. If we are his own people, then... Now, it comes back to another question. How do you know, or how when you read that scripture, say he's chosen you to be his own, what does God's ownership look like in your life? I mean, how do, if Jesus was to ask you, well, how do you read it, Major, that he owns you now? And he doesn't selected or elected you and chose you to be his own. What does that mean to you? I mean, I think it goes back to what you may have said earlier about we want to be, it's okay to be, for him to be Savior, but when he's Lord of our lives, then everything runs through God. Every decision, all of our actions, because we're owned by him, because he, he bought us with a price. Okay. Anybody else? I heard somebody say obey over here. That's okay, so Pam said obey. Okay, so, so therefore now it brings me to this relationship 
where I'm now in an obedient relationship with a holy God. And so therefore, because I understand that and because I know that, then I got to believe now he expects me to live a certain way. No different. You know, again, going back to the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. When you take the little creed and oath and all that, there's certain things they're telling you that as a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout, they don't expect you to be doing. Brother Fred, get a mic. They, they, they have an expectation. Why? Because they don't want you to destroy the whole image of the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts. So they, they put a creed out there. They put something out there for you. They put something to tell you, hey, this is at least what we expect of you. That's right. Now, I don't know, can they kick you out of the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts? I don't know. My kids didn't get kicked out. They was in the brown and they went on up. So they must have followed the rules. They, they didn't get kicked out. But I'm pretty sure if they had did certain things, been bad in school all the time, they probably would have said, you know, we, you got to get out of our green. You just you can't wear the green uniform." We, we don't want you representing troop number 174. You're not what we're looking for. And we're lucky that we, 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 you know, we serve a merciful and a just God. But sooner or later, he ain't going to just let us keep playing. I mean, sooner or later, he's going to expect something out of us based upon the fact that we belong to him. Brother Fred, go ahead. Because could it be that, you know, Jesus died for the whole world. And the Bible tells us, Jesus was slain from the foundation of the earth. So could it be that God chose the whole world, but we have to choose Jesus in order to, be, to become his? We have to choose, accept the sacrifice that he made in order now to become one of the elect that belong to him. Because when he died, he didn't leave anybody out. He's not a respectful person. So he died for the entire world. So he chose everybody. But now in order to become his, you got to choose his son. You know, that's, that's a good way of looking at that. You know, uh, but, but again, going back to what we said, the salvation call go out to everybody. Whom right. said we'll let him come. But God always give us choice. So life is still choice driven. So, 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 so Jesus, without a doubt, was the savior of the world. But even his own people didn't see him as savior. Many of the Jews did not accept him. And so, therefore, what we got to understand is that well, whether we was predetermined from God's point of view from the beginning, the important thing is you made the choice. That's right. And it's our job now to go out and try to encourage others to make the same choice. Amen. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's one of the things that we're going to see here in a minute when he started talking about the, the, these believers here who was going through all kinds of things but at the same time, they still remained faithful to God in the midst of what they were going through. Amen. He says, now look, for when we brought you, the, verse 5, the good news, it was not with only, only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know and you know of our concern for you from the way we live when we were with you. Well, he said a lot of things right there. We got to break that down a little bit. Now he said, now look, verse 5, we brought you the good news. That's the gospel. That's right. 
who Jesus Christ is, what he did for you, unglad and die. That's, that's the good news. That's the gospel. But we didn't just bring this message in word only. We brought it with power, meaning that the Holy Spirit was involved with the word coming, that while we was presenting this word, he was dealing with your heart. He was doing what he was supposed to do. He had the power to convict you and convert you and cause you to accept this truth. He was working with your heart. And that's what happened all of them. When you go to church, you start hearing something, that word start cutting at your heart, start messing with your heart. And sooner or later, one day before you know, you say, yeah, I just, I want to I give my life to the Lord. But if we never use the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and let the word with power come forward with power and people can see lives being changed, they won't think there's no power in God's word. He said the word didn't come forth. They didn't come before them with just word only, but they came forth with power. And so when the Holy Spirit was moving, people's lives were being changed, people being delivered, people being set free. Things was happening because the people came with an expectation and they believed that this word is true. And because they believed that it was true, it made way for the Holy Spirit to operate in their life. If you don't accept this Bible as being the truth, it don't make no difference what I say. It don't make no difference how we do and jump, dance, and shout in here. If you don't think this is true, it ain't going to have no impact on you. Amen. It's just going to be, I'm just sitting here, they don't say something, I ain't absorbing none of it. I ain't believing. Nothing. I'm just going to church to fill my square. Say, I went to church. No, you come to church so your life can be changed. You got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think. Amen. And once you start changing the way you think, then the Holy Spirit can work in your heart to start changing your lifestyle. So he said, now look, man, the, the good news came. It came with power. And it gave you the full assurance that what we're saying is true. Right now, the world is trying to tell us that the Bible is not true. People are saying it. You can't trust it. It's not true. It's not true. It's just something that someone made up. It's not true. And if you ever start doubting whether or not the Bible is true, then you're going to start walking backwards in your faith. You're not going to continue to be strong and hold on to the hope that you've been expecting, that expectation that you've had. And that's what the devil wants to do. He just, he ain't going to beat you out of it. He's going to talk you out of it. He's going to con you out of it. That's how he operates. I mean, that's what he does. Get inside our heads. That's why we have to guard our mind. If you don't guard your mind, the enemy will get inside your head and start you to doubt this word. In our mind, you got to have filters. You just can't let everything that the world throw at you just come through your mind unchecked. you got to put some things in check. You can't stop a thought from coming. It just pop up. You could be driving down the street, see a sign, boom, thought hit. But if you know that thought ain't godly, you need to take it captive. Because you can do that. You can say, I'm going to take that one captive. I ain't going to let this one sit here and I start meditating on what I just thought. Because if I meditate on it long enough, then my thoughts will become my action. So that's why I said, look, man, you got to understand that there's a way that they live. And they, in major, it was easy for them to live like that because the people that were presenting it to them were living it. Y'all get that? He said, and you know of our concern for you from the way we live when we were with you. Man, we got an obligation to live a certain way before the world. Amen. Now, we, we can still go. God didn't save us to bring us out of the world and put us on a mountaintop somewhere and chant all day. Whatever you want to do, that's okay. You can do that. But that ain't what he called. 
You're in the world, but not of the world. So you, you, you got to mingle with the world sometimes. But you got to know how to mingle with the world that you can be light in darkness and not allow the world to overshadow you. Meaning that when you get around the world, you put your light up on the bushel and hide it. And folk don't even know you say. Don't even know you go to church. I mean, why is that? What? When my kids was a Girl Scout, a brownie, Boy Scout, they ain't have no problem with their friends knowing they was in the Boy Scout. Girl Scout. No problem. Why is it that we have a problem letting folks know we say? I think because we don't look at God as a, as, as a person. It's not somebody that will strike you dead if you don't do what or kick you out. Okay. Because in, in, in love you that much that him put up with us with grace every day. Every and, okay. single day. So. And, that, and, and that's a good point. But look what he said. Made you, you heard what he said? He said, they understood this because they observed the way they live. You ain't got to walk around with your Bible on your phone or in your hand. You just need it in your heart. And what you're supposed to be is a living epistle. That's right. When people see you, they're supposed to see Jesus. By the way you conduct, by the way you carry yourself. And if you do that around people, be that example, sooner or later, there are going to be some people that will follow your example. Yes, ma'am. So I say um, it's not always attractive to live like a Christian. So um, like I have a journey, so I fast. So the Holy Spirit will be like, hey, it's time to fast. And so when I go to work, I'm an airman. So they're always trying to like feed me or this and that. I'll be like, hey, I can't, I can't do that right now. They'll be like, you doing this again? You're on this again? It's not always attractive to live for God or be obedient. So that's why most people try to hide it because it's like, Oh, um, I have to do this, or I can't do this, or I'm, I'm on this fast, so I, I can't partake in that, or do this, that, and third. Amen. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong if God has got you on a fast, then you ain't supposed to disobey God because folks don't understand how you can miss a meal, or two meals, or three meals, whatever he told you. I mean, because if you do that, then now you're, we are more concerned about what people think about us than we are about what God thinks about us. Awesome. This is also the fact that we have to look at we, when we, we have a problem with people, it's because they have the spirit in them. It's not them in the, themselves. Because we fight against, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against the spiritual, it's a spiritual warfare. You know, I, well, I was leaving work and a lady stopped me, a Spanish lady, and she said to me, um, she said, um, I said, I'm leaving. She said, oh. I said, I have to leave. I said, I'm late. I go in church. She said, what church you go to? So by then, I'm not working. I actually come out and I was leaving. And she said, well, tell me where the, the church is, and, you know, because I would like to go there. Before I could even start talking to the lady, my boss came out and said, why are you still here? We can take care of uh, uh, the customer. And I'm like, I'm not helping. I would nothing from here. And she's like, so what is it, personal? Well, what, you know, so sometimes you have to realize that you're fighting against a spirit that sees you different 
They might not want to acknowledge it or, or admit that you, you don't behave as they would expect you to. Amen. But she was angry because I was standing there and the lady was talking to me. Amen. So, so yeah. Um, Go, I Jeff. Have, I have one. Um, I'm just trying to figure out like how you go about doing that because I've, I've had the same situation at work where I don't think people really know. And it's like kind of trying to figure out how to like talk about it without coming off like too pushy. And that's kind of something I struggle with, so I might not talk about, you know what I'm saying, express my face and stuff like that to them. So I'm just kind of figuring out how, how to express that to them and stuff like that. Okay, okay. Well, you know, one of the things that I tell people sometimes is that you can express it by the things that you don't do. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, in certain work environment, if you got people that ain't saved that they're going to do what unsaved folk do. So when they get the customer, whatever they do, you don't partake in it. You don't laugh at their joke. You know, you know when everybody else laughs and you say, wait a minute, did you think that? No. I mean, I, I don't laugh at gestures that demeaning somebody else or, or talking about somebody else in a negative way. So we, and that will bring some persecution. But now again, that's a code that people think that, hey, man, he ain't one of us. You know, <laughs> no, I ain't one of y'all no more. I'm, 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 I'm here because I, gotta, I work with y'all. But when it comes to conduct and character, I'm not like you. I, you know, the law has delivered me from some of that. So we're not trying to make them think that we are better than them. We're just trying to let them know that we have advanced from that place to where we are now. And God don't want us to go back to that place just to satisfy them. That's right. You know, you got to be that light in darkness. You got to be that example like that we're going to see with these four. Were. They were an example, and, and because they were such a good example, the other churches in the whole region started looking to them because of their example. And it takes time, you know, because now you can't walk in the office with your Bible out every day, but you can wear Jesus by the things that you don't do and the things that you don't say. You know, for me, one of the biggest things was when I, just a little thing, but when I stopped cursing. You know, because in the military, man, you know, when I first joined, I tell people this all the time, my first experience getting off the bus at old dog 30 in the morning, 2 o'clock, whatever time we got to Lackler, the first thing I ran into was some dude cussing me out. He didn't even know me. He just walked up to me and started cussing, man. We all started running around. He cussing at us like I was. But I'm saying, man, I'm right at home. This dude talked just like we talk in the hood. I mean, he cussing. I'm cussing. So it's part of this, this group. So when I got out of basic training and went on the tech school and all that, I, I didn't think I had to stop cursing because everybody I knew in the military was cursing. But then one day the Lord, i never forget that was a captain I worked with, and he heard me cursing because I used to coach football, and so, you know, I don't know why coaches feel like in the day, back in the day, they got some good coaches. There was old Tony Dungeon, you know. We felt like, my old coaches felt like, in order to put emphasis on stuff, they had to curse you and call you some names. You know, get you over there. You sorry, you know, da-da-da. I mean, you know, they thought that was motivational speech. You know, cussing it out. So, therefore, but, but not only that, but our folks cussed us. When we were coming up and didn't know no better, people cussing their kids right now. And it hurt my heart so bad sometimes when I see people out in the street cursing their kids out. Because they're putting that spirit in those kids. But for me, when that captain told me, he said, you know, the Bible said, out of the same mouth that you got blessings coming out of, cursing shouldn't be coming out of that same mouth. Now, this is a dude that knew I'd go to, going to church. And he knew what role I played in the church, and now he would put me in check. And so once he did that, I said, man, this dude 
He's checking my example that I'm here at work and how I'm carrying myself. And then now the players are doing the same thing. So guess what? I hate Lord, I want you to deliver me from curses. I mean, I, I got to stop cursing. Took some time, but hey, it worked. I wrote it in my Bible. On that date, Lord, I'm making a vow to you, I'm going to stop cursing. So I did. But I, I could still try to, you know, people, I know Christians who curse today, and they justify it. Well, it's just language. What's wrong with it? No, but there's certain language that just ain't appropriate. You know, it just ain't appropriate. Even if you ain't saved, that, you know, that's some saved, that's some unsaved folk that don't curse. So it ain't got nothing to do. There's some people in the world who don't even come to church, but they understand that their mouth don't need to be foul. I saw a hand. Was it you, Major? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, like, my example, uh, a good friend of mine, we used to hang out at the clubs and, and do all kind of craziness. So I, I, I wanted to change. I, I said, you know, I got to, I gotta, you know. So I, so I started going to church, and then um, I was still, I was going to church, but I was still going to the clubs and still hanging out and still doing all those kind of things. So I just asked him, I said, um, hey, why don't, you come, why don't you come to church with me? And he's like, you know, why should I go to church? It ain't changed you. Mm. It broke my heart. I mean, I think from that point I said, I mean, I have to take this serious because you influence people one way, one way or the other, mm -hmm. good or bad. You, you have an influence over it. And that guy is, is still a good friend of mine, but he sees me totally different now. Amen. Totally different now. Amen. You, you know, there got to be something change about us. I mean, we're going to see this in a minute. You know, when you accept the Lord in your life and, and, and you become under his leadership, ownership, and he become Lord, he's he just going to change some things. That's what he's supposed to do. Right. I mean, he got to change some things. If he, if he wasn't going to change nothing, he should have died for us, just leave us the same. He's supposed to be coming in our life to try to make our lives better. The thing is, we got to allow him through the Holy Spirit to make those changes, through the word of God and adhering to this word and trying your best to live it. Now look at this, what he says here uh, in uh, uh, verses uh, 6 and 7. He says now, let me go back and read verse 6 7. He says, so you receive the message with joy. That's the first thing. Some people come to church and don't get this word with joy. They, 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 they hardly, <laughs> he done got on my street. And Major just got up there and talking about he, he, he gave up the club. My joy gone. Because today Wednesday, and I'm looking forward to Friday. Even though I'm online right now, I know Friday comes. And Major just talking about he done, my joy gone. Because Major made it sound like I got to give up the club. But he just, Major didn't say that. So when you out there online and you feel like, you, don't leave, he didn't say you got to give up the club. He just said something got to change. Maybe you ain't going to stay there all night. Maybe you ain't going to get drunk when you go. Maybe going to change something. But I, I believe that once you walk with him long enough, he going to take some of that from you. You ain't, ain't going to want to go out there. That environment, you ain't going to want to be in it every Friday night. He's going to trim you down to maybe twice a month. I, I believe he'll do that. You know, because you just, you just ain't going to feel right. I'm telling you, once the Spirit of God gets in, you're going to say, I'm out of place in here, man. I don't, I don't talk like that. Everybody over here scheming, they trying to do this. That, that ain't what I'm about no more. It takes time. Everybody's different. Now, some people may never give up the club. There's some people who've been saved for 20 years and still go to the club. Okay, that's fine. That's them. That's their walk. But if the Spirit convicts you and you know that the Spirit is telling you to give it up, don't let nobody keep you in something that God done told you to get out of. 
So I'm not, a, I'm not a saying, hey, I gave up the club. I did. Because I love the club. I mean, I really, I really love the club. I mean, I love the club. I couldn't wait to Friday night. The OJs tell me, living for the weekend. You count the days, man. You, you, then you, I got so bad, maybe I, I wasn't even a happy hour type guy, but I was even going to happy hour on Wednesday night. And so what I'm trying to say is that, but when I made up my mind, I said, man, I got to give up the club. I got to give up the club. Because if I don't give up the club, it's going to destroy me. Because one, when I went to the club, I often went with my boy, and I was married, and I didn't like to take my wife to the club with me. I don't know why I was there. I mean, keep her at home, take care of the baby, and I'm here running with my boy. So that was wrong right off the bat. Wrong. She couldn't go to the club without me, but I can go to the club without her. That was just wrong. That was just, you know, that was a double standard. I mean, if she was going to go, I was going with her. But if I was going, no, she had to go with me. Something wrong with that. And so what I'm trying to say, when the Lord starts convicting your heart about some of the things you do, people are going to think it's strange when you start giving up some things. But it may be strange to them, but you're going to become an example for them to let them know that their life can change too if they want to. And so this is what he's going to commend these, the, the, the Thessalonians for, because, man, they got serious about this. They look at this. I'm going to read this verse 6 and 7 real quick, and I'm going to take a quick look at the book of Acts chapter 17. He said, now look, so you received the message with joy, from the Holy Spirit, in spite of the suffering, severe suffering, it brought you. When you start cutting loose some of your road dog, it's going to come with some suffering. Because they don't think you don't went too far. Ain't nothing wrong with us going to the club. Why are you going? I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to when I gave up the lodge. Now, I ain't telling nobody I got to get out the lodge. That's a turn, but, that, but for me, when the Lord spoke my heart to get out the lodge, man, I had dudes come get, you just done got too holy now. No, man. I just ain't feeling it no more. I'm tired of going there, stepping in on the square in the conference, quoting the Bible, and then we go out and chase each other wide. Something ain't right with that. I mean, we say we brothers, but the cold don't last no longer until the large meeting over. When the large meeting over, we, we don't act like we brothers no more. So the Lord said, you got to give up that. And so when I made a commitment to give it up, and I would do tell me, man, you know, and I had to spend a lot of money now. I mean, I had the, the jewelry. I had, I mean, had, major, I had it all. I had the ring. I had the, you know, the lapel pins and the tie pins and you name it. I bought it because I wanted everybody to see my light shining when I came. You walk in the club, bang, bang. You know what I mean? That is. You know, <laughs> well, you want the people to know, boy, but I joined that thing. I want everybody to know that I was a mason, but I want them to know it. That I'm on the street with you. Oh, my God. Man, because they told us all this. Hey, you know, if you ever break down on the side of the road, just, just stand there in a certain stand. Somebody's going to walk by and see you standing there. They're going to say, that's a traveling man right there. Let me stop him. I bought in. I, I was sold out. But one day the Lord said, man, you know, you got to give that up. So when I gave that up, then I started being more serious about God. I stopped trying to juggle both of them. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to follow my path, but that's what he did for me. So what I'm trying to tell you is that 
There is some things that can change your life if you allow the change to take place. Amen. It's up to you. And it's up to anybody else that want to change. Now look at this. He said, now look. He says, so you receive the message with joy and the Holy, the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you initiate. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. In other words, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. You don't imitate somebody that ain't imitating the Lord. Become a pattern after somebody who is patterning themselves after Jesus. He says, as a result, you became an example for all the believers in Greece throughout Macedonia and Arcadia. In other words, man, people heard about how you guys have changed your life, and now y'all understand this. Because y'all done changed your life and you truly living out what we've been teaching y'all. And people, and this was a seaport town, so the reason they could say that is because people are always traveling through there. And when they was traveling through there, all they was hearing people talk about, man, them Thessalonians, boy, they done fell in love with the Lord. They done stopped cussing. They done gave up the might of God. They done, they done got their life together. And that word started spreading all over the place. Man, when you change, that word all starts spreading. Your friends say, man, you know Major done changed. Man, that dude like done changed. He ain't the same Major no more. Why? Because something took place on the inside that is now showing forth on the outside. People got to see the change in you. And they can see that without you even opening your mouth. So the word started spreading. Now, they went through a lot. Now, I'm going to read this real quick over in... in, in uh, Acts chapter 17, when the word got there, he said, now look, in Acts chapter 17, verses, I started in verse 1, he said, Paul and Silas uh, then traveled through the town of Amphilia, Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there were Jewish, a Jewish synagogue. And it says, and it was Paul, as it was Paul's custom. Somebody say custom. custom. See, it was Paul's custom. He went to the synagogue service for three Sabbaths in a row he used scripture to reason with the people. Now, coming to church got to be your custom. Whether you're online or whether you're in the house, it got to be a... And he went three Sundays in a row. Three Sabbaths in a row. Will us be three Sundays. And see, COVID done knocked some folk down to just once a month. It done broke their custom. If you're going to do something faithfully for the Lord, you can't get there once a month. You can't get there. You can't be effective at anything you're trying to do successfully just doing it once every now and then. I wasn't a monthly clubber. I was a weekly. And twice twice on the weekend, maybe three days, maybe back in the day, it was Friday, Saturday, and but now we come to church huh. every week. Yeah. You didn't call, cry about that when you go in the club every week. You got mad because they ain't had the right DJ there. But you still stayed there at 1 o'clock in the morning. But now you come to church. Hour and a half and they still in. Wait a minute. You used to close the club. Got that nine, then leave, and got mad when they told you it was time to go home. <laughs> so what happened to that attitude? Why that attitude now? You get an attitude to become time conscious when it comes to God, but when you're doing what you want to do, they ain't got to be the club. When some of y'all playing them games out there, some of the young dudes out there playing them video games all night, then they come, got to go to the club, your, your service ain't 45 minutes. No. 
know, most TV shows at least an hour. That's right. 30 minutes with commercials may be a little, you know, shorter than that, but so what I'm trying to say, we get, we get mad, we won't even go to a movie. If a movie ain't but, you know, 80-something minutes, I paid all that money for it. Only 80 minutes, that's all. I was looking for at least an hour and a half in the movie. So what I'm trying to say is that we got to have an attitude that when it comes to God, we got to stop putting all kinds of limits on him. I'm not, I'm not advocating going back and staying in church all day. I mean, I, that ain't what I'm saying. But I'm saying when we come to the house of God, Time can't be the first thing on our mind. Worship got to be on your mind. And, and when we get in the right attitude, what he said, look, man, these folks, they started doing some things there, and when they started doing it, man, the word started getting out, and, 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 and they started getting persecuted. Persecution, because he was going to church, and he had went to church three Sundays in a row, three Sabbaths in a row. Then what, look what he said. He explained the prophets and proved that the Messiah must suffer and, and rise from the dead. Talk about Paul teaching the Jews, now teaching in the synagogues, or teaching uh, uh, on, on the Sabbath. And he said, this Jesus is, I'm telling you about is the Messiah coming against their teaching, their way of thinking. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greeks. So now this Thessalonian church now is a combination of Greeks and Jews. This is the same faithful church he's writing because they're a combination of Greek and Jews. And not only that, there was quite a few prominent women in there. So there were women that had some stuff. People with status in the community. They all joined this church. But now what happened is when you start doing things for the Lord and people start coming and joining and being a part of what you're doing, there are always going to be some haters out there. But some of the Jews were jealous. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. Then they attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers. Instead, it took them and took them before the council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. Somebody said they turned this city upside down, talking about Jesus. He said, and now they are disturbing our city too. And Jason was welcoming to, and Jason has welcomed them into his home. Then all are guilty of treason against Caesar. Why? They, they tried to make it like, hey, they're coming against the government. They weren't coming against the government. But, but what they did, for they professed allegiance to another king named Jesus. So when you say Jesus trumps the government, then now, you're saying, I'm going to follow him, and if the government do something that don't line up with him, I'm going to go against that. And what they were telling these folks, that, hey, look, they're now raising this Jesus up to the same level of Caesar because Caesar was looked at as a god. And so, therefore, that was grounds to try to kill him. And then because of that, this little church stood up and they got persecuted for it. And that's what he was reminding them here in this letter. Y'all went through a lot of suffering all because y'all started believing in this Jesus we say that he is the savior of the world. And so they threw him in jail and then they posted bond for him and they got out. So that's when you read verse 6 and 7 here. He's talking about that of the example that they are to, to the believers not only in Greece but throughout Macedonia and Achaia because back then those people knew what they was going through and saw how they handled that situation. Now look at verse 
8 and 9, then I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up because we ain't got but 10 verses. Now look, he said now verse 8, and now the word of the Lord is ringing. Somebody that's being spread, diffusing. The, the picture that they're trying to get you to hear here is like a bell ringing if a sound. I don't know if you ever passed by a church on a Saturday or Sunday, the old churches that had them bells ringing. Them things, you can hear them all over the community. I mean, when that bell started ringing, man, you can hear that thing all over the community. And what they was doing, saying, hey, look, the word done got out about you guys' attitude, what the things you're doing for the Lord, how you're living up to this word. Man, it's ringing all over the region. Now, everybody talking about y'all. Everybody is saying that your life done changed. Your life, you've given your life to Christ. And now, because people are coming through this port city, they're getting the word and they're taking it all over the world. Man, we, you know, we stopped off in Thessalonica, man. We stopped there, them brothers on fire there. And got, we got to tell you what they're doing there because what they're doing there, man, it's working for them. They really believe in this Jesus thing because even in persecution, they still believe. And what we got to see is that, man, you got to get the word of fire of God in your heart again so that when you leave here, you're not ashamed of the gospel. You're not ashamed to share. You don't have to go beat people with it, but man, the light got to shine. You can't dumb down Jesus when you leave here and dim the word that's in you. If you got the word of God in your heart, man, you can't dim it when you walk out of here. So now you're too ashamed to let somebody know you're saved, and so you kind of just dumb down your spirituality. The reason I don't do that is because of who I believe in and what he taught. And so, guess what? In martial arts, little grasshopper do what the master <laughs> teach him. They do it. Whatever the sensei say, they try to learn and In Christianity, we got to learn and do what Jesus said do. In spite of where we are and in spite of the persecution that may come along with it. Can't be ashamed of him before men because he can then be ashamed of us before the Father. Now look at this. He says, so it was ringing everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Acacia, for wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. People can talk about your faith because they can see your faith. He said, and we don't need to tell them about it. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turn away from idols. So they turn away, turn away to serve the true and living God. Now that's a question right there. The question you got to ask yourself right now is this. When you got saved, if you ain't turned away from nothing, then the possibility you're not growing in your faith. I don't care who you are, where you come from. I don't care if you were born a good little kid and you never spent a day in the club, you didn't never get kicked out of school, you never fought nobody. When you got saved, you had to turn away from something. It was something in you that did not line up with this word and did not line up with Jesus that you got to turn away. And if you don't turn away from it, then guess what? You're still doing it. So he said, look, people got to see your turn. All of you ought to have a turn testimony. What did you turn away from? We ain't got time to go through it tonight, but man, you got to have a testimony. And if, if I sit here and say that, your mind ought to be able to reflect back to where you were five years ago, two years ago, when you first met Jesus, to where you are now. And if you can say, man, I ain't turned away from nothing, it's a good possibility. 
it's a good possibility that you may not have truly gave him your heart when you because there's some people that get saved on the buddy plan. My buddy go to church, so I go to church. You know, the buddy plan. <laughs> I mean, the comrade, he got saved, I got saved. You got, so I ain't really giving, but that just seemed like the thing to do. I got caught up in that moment, but then reality hit. I left church and thought about what I had done, and then, hey, look here. I ain't, I ain't about that right now. But you got to turn from somebody. And, and, and if you're ashamed of what you've turned from, then guess what? Then, then you need to grow up because if you've been delivered from it, it's no longer hindering you. It's no longer holding you back. It's no longer something you're going back to because if you talk about it, you're going to go back to it. But then if that's where you are, then you ain't delivered from it all the way yet. You got to be able to deal with it and talk about it and not want to do it. That's why I always give my testimony about gambling, man. I, I Like the club, I love gambling. And I, and I can talk about it now. I ain't, I ain't afraid to tell people, how, you know, how I used to gamble, how, how I bet it, buying lines and paying all that money to learn the different odds and stuff like that. I mean, I've studied that stuff. I, 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 I was like a math whiz when it comes to spreads and plus and minus and over and under and all that. And even now, when I hear some of that on the football game, I said, man, they bring back the days. <laughs> man, they, they're giving Dallas plus two. I should have took that because they got spanked good. <laughs> should have took Dallas and the two and still came out, you know. But because I'm delivered from that, when I see that stuff now flashing before my eyes, I have no desire to go and gamble. Because now I can afford to gamble. Back then, I couldn't afford to because I was losing. Now I can afford to gamble and lose some money. But back then, I was gambling when I couldn't even afford to. Brother Fred. <clears throat> If there's no conviction, then there's no conversion. The Holy Spirit automatically takes up residence when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. So the Holy Spirit's job is to convict you anytime you go contrary to the will of God. So if there's nothing in your life that you're not being convicted about, then maybe there's a good chance you hadn't been born again. Because the Holy Spirit going to do his job regardless of what you do or what you say. You might quench it. The Holy Spirit will do his job. Amen. 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 Because he says that. Hey, let me just read the verse down again. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turn away from idols. From idols. Now, when people look at that, they, we often think back then idols was normally these statues. And because these people are polytheistic, meaning that they believed in many gods, so therefore they had a god for the stars, a god for the moon, a god for the sea, you know, a lot of these things that we see, you know, these Greek gods, Greek and Roman gods, uh, uh, you know, you just name some of your cars you drive around in are named after Greek gods, Roman gods. And so they, you know, the Apollo Theater, that was after a god. Over arts and science and music and stuff like that, gods. You know, you know, we buy cologne named after gods, eros, gods. They use these names all the time. And what happens is that anything that you elevate to a place in your life where it takes the place of God, it's going to become your God. So don't look at this and just think about some little statue sitting up there. There are some people worship their stuff now. That material thing. They, 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 they're, they're, they're bound by the material thing, and because they worship those material things, those things become their God. 
You know, I mean, can you imagine Major killing somebody because they stepped on your shoe? Because, you know, I was, you know, flipping through Netflix, and I didn't even know there was some movie out there called Sneakerhead. Sneaker something. These guys travel all over the world looking for shoes. And man, if they're God, I mean, they'll do anything to get them. And so in their own way, they really, if, if a shoe going to make you travel to buy, if Amazon can't get it to me, and I ain't finna pay $1,000 for a pair of shoes. But if I worship that because it make me feel different because I can walk around with something nobody got, then that now becomes mine. We don't like look at things like that, but there are certain things that can creep in our lives and it kind of ease God to the side and we start chasing it and worshiping it in the place of God. So we're not looking at statues anymore. We're not bowing down before statues like these folk back then. They had temples built to gods and all that. But today, we are worshiping other things because there's always going to be a place in our heart that's designed to worship something. And if God is not filling that place, then whatever it is that you place above him is your God. You right, the phone done moved high on the list. I, 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 that's a good one right there because I know the other night I left, I, I forgot mine and I couldn't figure out where it was. I almost lost my mind. I said, man, where I put that thing, man? I mean, I done towed the house up. I'm down the thing. It ain't ringing. I'm saying, man, where in the world? I'm thinking like, man, dude, man, I, my, I don't know how I'm going to get all them contacts back. I don't know who's in there. All of, I almost lost my And then some say, it's at the church. Now, you know I said, well, it'll be there Sunday morning. It'll be there tomorrow morning, 1030 at night. Guess what I'm going to do? I ain't leave my phone down there all night. I got up, <laughs> came down here and got my phone. Just that quick, because I feel like I need this phone. I'm thinking, who going to call me? If anybody who really know me, they got my other number. But I had to come get it. Yeah, I mean, most of us right now, man, if you lose your phone or leave your home without it, I mean, you still got to have it. I'm not saying we worship the phone, but, but it has taken a place in our life now where it got priority. Amen. And so what he's saying here, hey, they turned away from idols and started worshiping, he said, the true and living God. See, what we got to understand is the God that we serve is, is not dead. He's a living God. He's a true God. The Jews always had the true God, but they just didn't want to accept his son. And so now we see him as the true God, not only that, but he had a son, and he's just not some dead idol, but he's a living God. Amen. He lives on the inside of us by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. And so that's why verse 10 says, and they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven. That's that expectation that we talked about. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. That's the gospel again, the doctrine of the gospel. Always talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. Any church that you go to that say there's a Christian church, they got to talk about Jesus being raised from the dead. Got to talk about him being the son of God. Got to talk about that. If they don't talk about those two things, it's a good possibility that they don't believe the gospel. They may teach you a whole lot of other stuff, 
But if they don't talk about him being raised from the dead, him being the son of God, that's what the whole gospel, and he died for our sin, that's what the gospel is built on. Amen. That's the foundational truth of the gospel. And Paul, all his letters, made, you know, all these books he went through, he always came back to that. Now look at this. He is the one who has, somebody say rescued. Rescued, rescued us from the terror of the coming judgment. In other words, because of our salvation, our faith in him, now we have been saved from that judgment that is coming. He's coming back, yes, sir. but he's coming back as a judge. And so therefore, because of that, there's no condemnation in us because we have accepted him. So therefore, we don't fear his second coming. We don't fear his return because we know that we're not going to end up in a place that God wants us to be because we have accepted him. And so with that said, when, when that, because that takes so long to happen and it happened like that, then it's easy for people to think that, well, you know, maybe that is not going to be a judgment day. Maybe why you believe, ain't no, you know, when is judgment day coming? You know, and you got to say, hey, man, I don't know when he's going to do what he's going to do, but the Bible says he's going to do it. And so as a result of that, I'm going to live in accordance with his word, trusting that because it do come, I ain't worried about it. Amen. That ain't something I need to wake up every morning talking about, man, I hope judgment day don't come. now. if it comes tomorrow, hey, I'm ready. Why? Because I know from, I've been rescued. I've been saved. And so therefore, I'm in, I'm in good hands with the Lord. And see, that's what you got to see. You got to see yourself as being, you're in good hands with Jesus. So you got to take every day in stride and represent him to the best of your abilities every day. So that's what this little church did that. And that's why Paul was so happy with them. And he was commending them because all the things they went through, they still remain faithful. And all I want to close this with you is that if you can imagine your life as a pattern, you know, just like a piece of pattern, a pattern that you cut fabric with and you put it down, if you cut right, every time you ought to get the same result. If you cut right and follow the pattern. So when you live right before people, you ought to be able to tell them if they follow the pattern. Amen. If they do what you do, God's going to give them the results that you get. Amen. But we can't say that if we're not following the pattern. We got to follow Jesus, and then as we follow him, others can follow us. Yes, sir. And as a pastor, it do me no good if this word don't go no further than this church. Yes, sir. I can preach my heart out, teach my heart out, but if all is going, as far as those of you who are online and in here tonight, and all they're going to do is stop right there, didn't mean nothing. Because y'all are already in the body. It's your job now to take this word and do just like these Thessalonians Amen. did. Talk about it, spread it, so they spread abroad. Amen? Amen. Any questions, any comments? Amen. Good time. We got five minutes, so... Again, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, again, we'll go with Chapter 2 next week and see what the Lord revealed to us there. Uh, a couple of announcements uh, before we leave. 